0: Thanks for listening to the Junior Ziegler podcast. If you are crazy enough to want more of his content, check out the link in the description of this podcast. That link can get you to his book, his socials, and another podcast. Thanks for hitting play. Here's Junior. Well, we finish up, as Denham said, we finish up the Beyond series today, and um, I'm looking forward to what God will do in this service. About this time last year, my wife and I were in Norway. I was speaking at a pastor summit, a European pastor summit. And so we were supposed to just fly into Norway for two, three days and then get out. But since we were there, we pushed the flights and extended the stay, kind of considered it a vacation because it's like, you know, when else, whenever are we gonna be in Norway again? And so my wife found like an Airbnb right on, it was like this beautiful spot in a harbor right between a glacier and the North Sea. And it had been her dream to climb a glacier It was the off season, and she found some deal for like 40 bucks. It was like a day expedition up a glacier. And so we signed up, woke up early that morning to the world's worst weather. Couldn't get worse. 33 degrees and rainy. It's like if it was just one, like one degree colder, it would have been snowy, it would have been fine, but just like cold and rainy, it's like, oh, this is why it was 40 bucks. You know, it's just ice cold and raining. But nevertheless, we put on our our metal boot spikes, we covered our gear in tarps, we threw on some waterproof pants, and then we met our team up on the glacier. And for the first few hours, it was horrible, just white-out conditions, you couldn't see anything. Just walking up into white, you know, nothing but white. It was the world's worst boring, cold hike. And after a couple hours of just hiking into the white, our guide, we stopped for lunch, and as we sat there, you know, eating our packed sandwiches, the guide gave us an option. They said, we could stop here. You know, we are between clouds right now. So was like, okay, you can stop here. Just kind of enjoy, you know, what we can see. Or for the daring, you can take an intense route up past another cloud. And the group unanimously decided to over lunch, like, no, we're not going. But I looked at my wife and I could see the disappointment on her face. She wanted to press higher. And so I spoke up and I talked half the group into going with us. And so the group actually split. Half the group went, stayed at the current elevation. And then the other half of us, we we ventured on up higher. And about an hour in to the second climb, I was regretting speaking up. It was horrible i'm just like this this the incline got more steep to the point where we had pickaxes we were on all fours you know like just trudging up trudging up these ledges there were drop-offs and i was getting concerned about and our guide kept saying hey we're all tied together so it's okay you know if one of us falls we all go i was like (laughs) problem with that is like i was climbing with like these little europeans so it's like if i go you all are gone like that's just terrible but at one point the ground leveled out and as we were walking we heard this this constant noise almost like this whirling roar. Uh, but all we could see was white. We kept walking, and the, the, the sound grew louder and louder. And Nicole was come, walking next to me and she was tied to me because we were in this point where there were ice caves below us. We could easily just fall through. So if one of us fell through, the, we were tied to each other. And we're trying to figure out like, what's this roar? When all of a sudden the white began to dissipate and a towering waterfall came into focus. It was right over our head. The water fell and flowed beneath our feet. We were standing in that moment. We didn't even know this. We were standing on this ice bridge. It's this pristine water falling into blue ice. It's an untouched area. My wife was almost, I mean, she's not emotional, but she was just almost in tears. And immediately I thought in that moment, oh my goodness, we almost missed this moment. And half the group did. Like the story, the beauty, the moment was just a little further up the mountain. We just had to push just a little bit more. And later on, back at base camp, one group was well-rested, having only saw pretty much just white-out conditions. The other group was thoroughly exhausted, yet couldn't believe what we got to see. And yet I believe the same will be true in the next life. Most people will enter the presence of God well-rested, having lived a moderately safe, risk-mitigated, reasonably comfortable life. But there will be a group in God's presence arriving thoroughly exhausted, scratched up with stories of risk to lead a life that God used in great ways. See, just as the guide announced at lunch, hey, you can go out further. So scripture announces to us, there's more to go. You can stay where you're at. You can catch your breath and you can wait things out. Or you can climb higher. You can risk more. You can stress yourself more in faith and trust that there will be something even more beautiful just a ways ways up further. Every day we live is an answer to Scripture's call. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22 is page 16 in the Bibles and the chairs. Uh, maybe you're newer with us. So we're so glad that you're, you're with us. Um, and maybe you've never like opened a Bible. This might be a great day to just try it out. It's page 16 in the Bibles and the chairs. Otherwise, I know people use phones, tablets. We have the Bridge app with Bible and notes all in one spot. But Genesis chapter 22, we're going to be looking at one of the most confusing stories in Scripture, uh, many have read this story, and it left a really bad taste in their mouth. In fact, I have a, a few friends who are atheists, uh, love having discussions with them, and they actually point to this, this text a lot. They say, I don't know how you could ever follow a God who does what he does in Genesis chapter 22. Because uh, it is perplexing. Many people read this, and just, it'll leave them more confused, and they're perplexed, and so we just kind of skip over this, this story. But we're not going to do that. We're going to go for it today. And as we do, I believe there will be something amazing in this text for all of us. Let me pray. We'll just jump right into this. God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the words that we hold in our hands. These are from you. We thank you for the father that you are, the God that you are. You are a good God. You are great. And you are mighty. And you care enough to write us these words. As a God, as we gather together as a church family, ready to hear from dad, may, may you, tune out all distractions, And really zero us in on what you have for us today. We believe this is your word. We believe it is true. And we receive what it says. May we enter into this time humbly submitting to what you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as the lens of scripture zooms into Genesis 22, dimming crow feet framed eyes can't help but stare at his son. He still can't believe he has a son. And for decades, he longed to have a child of his own, yet decade after decade after decade, nothing. And after many tears, he came to accept that he would die a childless man with a broken heart. That until his old age, God promised him a son. There he is. Dad just can't help but stare. In some ways, it feels like everything he's ever wanted is wrapped up in this miracle child. And with most parents, especially ones who struggle to conceive or struggle with infertility, it's very easy to overprotect the child, overfocus on the child, idolize the gift. The gift can often take affection and focus away from the giver. And so the real question is, is does Abraham idolize the gift over the giver? And that's what we're going to get into today. Verse one, it says, after these things, after these things, now these things meaning Abraham having a son. At 100 years old, Abraham has a son. 100 years old, Hundred years. I'm 36. I can't even imagine having a newborn right now. Like, I just don't have enough energy. Imagine being a hundred years old and having a newborn. Kind of makes you wonder if they both needed diapers. <laughs> so sorry. So after after these things. After these things, having a child at 100, uh, time has passed. Most scholars believe that. So after, meaning like 15 years. So it's been about 15 years. Isaac, the baby, is about 15 years old now. God tested Abraham. Now, tested is a difficult word here because usually when we think of testing, we think of like a a teacher, you know, giving an exam to find out where the students are at because that's why a teacher gives an exam, right? I want to see how much you know, so I'm going to give you this exam. The problem with God giving a test is God doesn't need a test to find out because he already knows everything, right? So it's kind of a difficult word here, test. Another way to translate test here, it's the Hebrew word nisa, which means um, to give experience to or to train. The way I see it is, uh, yesterday I was working on a project at home and my youngest, she's five, whenever she sees I have tools out, she wants to help. And I'd I'd love for my girls to, to know how to work with tools. And so I was teaching her, you know, the different tools. And at one point I gave her a ratchet. Now she has no idea what to do with a ratchet, but I wanted to just, I wanted to see her struggle a little, not, not in a bad way, but I wanted to see her kind of wrestle with how to do that. I knew that she was not going to get that, but it was just kind of a test to see how much she knew about a ratchet. That's why I gave her the ratchet, to train her to give experience to her. I knew she didn't, she, that she would struggle, but I'm giving her experience. That's the wording that Genesis used for God training or giving experience to Abraham. So he said to Abraham, Abraham, Abraham said, here I am. He said, take your son, and by the way, scholars here at this point uh, say that in the original Hebrew, the pace of reading really slows. So so far in Genesis, it's been like one thing after another, right? Like, you know, Abraham's over here, and then he's over there, and then him and Sarah are over here, and then they have a baby, and it's just like boom, 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 boom. But now at this verse right here, it slows way down. Some scholars believe you should almost read this in the original Hebrew. You would read this as if you were putting a period after every few words. It's like, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. Offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. The word for son in Hebrew is ben, and ben is used here ten times. Your son your only son, whom you love. These words shake Abraham to his core because his son has been the goal. Like it's the promise of God. I mean, after all these things that God has asked Abraham to do, to surrender, to move around, Abraham's been obedient for the most part and his son has been a worthy reward. But now God wants him to wrestle with his potential idol. Which by the way, our heavenly father will do that with us sometimes. God will assign us a difficult task, an obstacle to wrestle with, to challenge us, because it reveals something. It's kind of like, so, several years ago, I had a, a good friend He's a, a bodybuilder, and he came in to, to meet with me because he's really struggling. Um, kind of guy who, uh, bodybuilders, he's always talking about working out, his body, you know, how much he can lift, all of that, She took a lot of pride in and, and, and working out, which is fine. Uh, poor guy ends up tearing a muscle. And the injury sent him into a tailspin. So he sits down and he's like, I'm mad at God. He'd spiraled into alcoholism. He's depressed. He's sitting there like, bro, over a torn muscle? Like, come on, what just happened? Well, what happened was is God gave him an obstacle and that obstacle revealed an idol in his life. That struggle revealed an idol. God often wants us to struggle with potential idols. It happens the same thing with me whether it's like image or health or security or money or relationships, God assigns us something difficult, seemingly unreasonable obstacle so that we can, so that it can reveal something in us so that we can defeat a potential idol that could take us down. Or another way to think about this is, so a few months ago, I took my daughters to The Chosen when it was in theaters, like season three, had like the first two episodes in, in theaters and my wife is working and denim and Maddie were going, so it's like, ah, I'll just take the girls and tag along And so we went, and there's this beautiful scene where Jesus' disciple, James, who has a health issue, he has a hard time walking. He confronts Jesus, and he says, you know, Jesus, you heal all these people. And you say that I can heal people now, but, like, I'm still walking around with a bum leg. You haven't healed me yet. I'm struggling with that. It's a beautiful scene. Jesus says to him, he says, I haven't healed you because I trust you. Like your pain will make you depend on God more, not run away from God. I haven't healed you because you're one of the few people I trust. Again, it's brilliantly beautiful. Jesus says few people God trusts with difficult tasks, James. You're one of them. Your inability to walk physically will actually help you walk spiritually better. So I looked over at my daughters and I figured they, they're not getting any of this, but my middle daughter's eyes were just glued to the screen. Because at this time, we were told that she would likely go blind in her right eye. And we were praying for her, had the elders pray for her. And many of you have been praying for her, which thank you so much. I love our church community. Uh, since then, the doctor's been baffled by what's happened with her eye's progress. Like They thought she would definitely go blind, and now um, like weaning her off uh, different um, medications and whatnot. It's just amazing what, what, what's happened. But at the time, she was wrestling with the fact that she's probably going to go blind in, in her right eye. So she's watching this, and... You know, we go home. A couple days later, I'm putting her to bed, and she said to me as I was tucking her in, she said, Dad, I want to be someone that God can trust too. Like, what are you talking about, baby? She said, well, if Jesus calls me to struggle with my eye, I want to be one of the few that he can trust that with. Like, Daddy doesn't cry, but but Daddy was crying. And that perfectly encaptures what's going on here. Because there's two routes that Abraham can go at this point. Is I can trust and I can struggle and I can wrestle. Or I can run, get ticked off and reveal an idol. Now the reality is is that God will not have Abraham put his son to death. Spoiler alert, sorry. That's not what's going to happen. Instead, God will later give his, his son. God will be the one sacrificing his own son. This has always been the plan. But God is pushing Abraham to wrestle with some pain here because God trusts Abraham. And I think here, it just makes sense. I can just kind of hit the pause button on the text and just go, okay, can God trust me? Can, Can God trust you with some pain, with a struggle? Like Abraham is about to find out more about himself and find out more about God through this wrestling. And in the same way, God is inviting you into a struggle. That's what this Beyond series is all about. This whole campaign is an invitation to struggle. Like, I know I'm the world's worst fundraiser, but that's exactly what this is. It's an invitation. I'm inviting, you. let's struggle together. Let's feel this together to go beyond what we think we can do to reach a broken city with real hope. But the beauty of this pain that God is calling us to is that He trusts us. He trusts you. He trusts me. He trusts us as a church, and we get to do this together. So, God is going to give experience to Abraham. Abraham, has the baby become greater to you than the giver? What gets more affection? What gets more allegiance? What gets more attention? And in the same way, God poses the same question to you. Who or what gets most of your affection? The monetary blessing that God has given you or the blesser? Do you find more meaning and security in your career, in your finances, maybe in a relationship, a marriage, in your child, the sports, the the routines? Is that getting more of your attention and your affection, your thoughts and your allegiance than the one that you call God? This is the struggle that Abraham is going to face. And God will come through. I mean, God's blessing is just a little bit further up the mountain, but Abraham will have to struggle further to see it. And that's exactly where we find ourselves right now as a church. We're just partway up the mountain. I mean, my goodness, we have seen amazing things in our church lately, haven't we? I think a few weeks ago, we baptized 139 people. It's like incredible. So many people are finding Jesus. I was talking to a guy just on my patio a couple weeks ago, and uh, he came into church just so lost, so very lost, sitting on my patio, and he's just like, dude, I, he said to me, he's like, dude, I don't know how to tell you. I don't know the, word, the right words to use, but when it comes to this whole like Jesus thing that I've been like getting into, like I'm in. What do you mean by that? He's like, I don't know. It means I'm in. Like, I want to follow Jesus. Like, just so many of those stories. I could stand up here and give you story after story after story. It's been incredible. But make no mistake, we're just getting started. Will we take God's invite further up the mountain? Abraham does. Verse 3, it says, So Abraham rose in the, in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Verse 4, On the third day, third day. Three days of wrestling with this. Three days. By now, sorry, this is just me. I would have talked myself out of it. Eh, probably didn't hear him right, you know. Oh, I was kind of feeling sick. I wasn't sleeping well. Maybe, maybe I just kind of imagined that. But here we see, and this is so, so rich. Here we see Abraham's faith isn't based on emotion, his faith isn't based on emotional experiences. Ah, oh, I went to a feel-good service, you know, or I got that camp high. I'm not saying any of that is wrong. I'm just saying that Abraham is resolute to continue down the road of struggling. He has been asked to struggle, and his emotions aren't going to bring him down there. He's going for it. It says Abraham lifted up his, his eyes, and he saw the place from afar. Now, Now, it is believed, and I believe this, that the place that Abraham is looking at here will later become the hill of Jerusalem. So Mount Moriah is where the Temple Mount is today. So just think about this, like piece that together. Where God calls for a sacrifice of a son, it will actually be God's son, Jesus, who is sacrificed on this very mountain. When God calls us to sacrifice, whether it's like, I don't know, 10% of your income or, you know, gift above and beyond or normal giving, whatever God calls us to sacrifice, his sacrifice is always more. God has more skin in the game. He just invites us into the amazing story and into the struggle. Uh, Verse five says, then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship. Oh, is that what you're calling it? Worship, okay. And come again to you. Now, we don't get this in the English, but in the original Hebrew, this is pretty cool. Come again to you is actually plural pronoun. So Abraham says, we will come back to you. In other words, what Abraham is saying is, is, I don't know how this is going to work out. This doesn't make full sense to me. But God's promises, I believe them. He's going to do something. He's going to provide something. Like, we will be back. Now, Hebrews 11 shines a different light, kind of pointing back to what's going on through Abraham's mind here. Abraham is thinking that God will raise Isaac from the dead. Now, that's not what will happen. But God is, or Abraham is just trusting God. Okay, God's going to do something here. And 15-year-old Isaac picks up the firewood. Old Abraham grabs a knife and a torch. And they continue walking. And are you picturing this scene? The heat of the Middle Eastern day is baking them, the flaming torch making it worse. His pruned age-spot hands hold a knife, walking next to someone that he pleaded his whole life for. It's like, "Ah, can I really do this? And the conversation up the mountain makes it even harder. Verse 7, Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father... He said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire in the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both went up together. Now, keep in mind, what kept Abraham going up the mountain wasn't his own strength. It wasn't even his own emotions that kept him going up the mountain. It wasn't even his own desire. He didn't want to do this. And this is so important. What kept Abraham going up the mountain further was his belief that God is good. God is good. I could take that next step. I point this out because there have been times where uh, Nicole and I will feel convicted to give more, like give a special gift to something or give to an organization or like sponsor. We sponsor um, like four different kids, you know, take on another kid to sponsor them. And we'll think, you know, okay, maybe we can, let's like budget so we can like figure this out. Can, Can we make this work? I don't know. But at the end of the day, what it does for us, what does it for us, is we believe God's good. He's been so good to our family. He's been too good. He's just so many blessings. He's calling us to a sacrifice. How can we not? Like, yeah, it might hurt, but my goodness, God is good. It's like on Thursday. So Thursday night, uh, our our staff and our elders and our deacons, just like the, the leaders in our church, we, we got together, and we had a commitment night just as a leadership team to Give of, like commit to giving of our gifts and uh, what we did is after some worship, we sat around tables, and we'll do this in a little bit, not around tables but just where we're sitting, we filled out commitment cards just saying what we could commit to as far as you know a gift, and Nicole and I we came in, we talked beforehand, we came in with a number that, that we could do and I was you know, filling everything in I got to the amount, and then she elbowed me, and she was like, just double it I was like, what? She's like, come on. she's like, come on, baby, just double it. I was like, this is why I don't bring you to fundraiser. Baby. No, we'd, be, we'd have nothing. And then she whispered in my ear. She's like, come on, God's been good to us. And I don't say that to brag. I, just, I, I say that because in a moment, we're going to commit to something beautiful together. Like many of God's people who have gone before us. I'm not saying you've got to double Whatever. I'm just saying what guides these moments, these meaningful moments is not, hey, the bridge is awesome. We can do this. What guides this time is not like, hey, we're brave enough to give. Look at us, we're so generous. What guides this time is God's good. He's been so good to us as a church. He's been so good to us as a people. And okay, what he's calling us to, it's gonna hurt a little bit, but God is good and we can trust that God will do something with our sacrifice because God loves doing something with our sacrifice. The blessing is just a little bit further up the mountain. Verse nine, it says, when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in, in order and bound Isaac, his son, laid him on the altar and on top of the wood. Now, here's my question. I always had this question when I was a kid because the story would always be told to me when I was a kid and it always confused me. How could a 115-year-old man overpower a 15-year-old? You wonder that? Like, all Isaac had to do was push and run. He's 115 years old. I think it's a mistake to miss the faith of Isaac here. I can't say this for sure, but I, I believe he willingly was bound. Like a sacrifice and put on the altar. Would your teenager do that? <laughs> I can't say I would. Like, what's Isaac doing here? Like, run! Run! I think the only way young Isaac would do this is because he caught his dad's trust in God's promises. I think he'd heard his dad talk about how great God is all the time. God's so great. And God is so good. And God is worth listening to. And God is worth following. It's gonna be confusing at times. It's gonna be painful at times. But come on, son. God is always worth following. And then he saw his dad live that out to the point where I really do believe the boy was willingly bound and placed on the altar. My goodness, that is my prayer for my girls. I pray the same phrase over them every night before bed. May these girls follow you all the days of their life, all the days of their life, through whatever, even through the pain, even when culture opposes them, which culture will because of values that we hold from Jesus Christ, they are politically incorrect today. But may they follow you through that pain. May they obey you in the pain and may they get on the altar because they trust you and because you are good. May they follow you all the days of their life. Verse 10 says, Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham! He said, Here I am. Verse 12, he said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Verse 14, so Abraham called the name of the place. I love this. The Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. The Lord will provide. One day in the future, past Isaac, the Lord provided greatly on that mountain. The Lord will provide. Do you live with this abiding certainty? Like he, he's called us beyond our comfort. He's called us beyond the typical. He's called us up the mountain through confusing conditions, over scary ledges. Like, make no mistake, the trail that God has marked for you to walk is marred with sacrifice. But there's beauty in it because we get to see this, the Lord will provide. Some of us, this is foreign to us in a way because we never position ourselves for God to provide. We just feel like we're picking ourselves up by our bootstraps, just living comfortably. But as a church, we really do believe this because we've experienced this over and over and we've seen this happen over and over and over. Do you believe this? And do you believe this enough to live differently? A few thoughts from a very confusing story. Number one, God calls us to struggle and sacrifice. God calls us to struggle and sacrifice. If you are new to the bridge welcome we're so glad that you're with us god calls you to struggle and sacrifice how's that for a sermon my goodness he came here to get encouraged You get this it's just true that god calls you and i to struggle and to sacrifice and it's not and this is what i tell my friends who are atheists It's like it's not because he's like some sadistic being rather he is good and he knows you and he knows me he created you he knows that when you are comfortable when all is well we slowly die You mentally weaken when you just live a comfortable life. I think we're seeing that all around our society today. Comfort is just a slow death. We follow Jesus and Jesus lived a life of struggle. He gave the ultimate sacrifice. We worship a God who sacrificed the comfort of his throne. He took on flesh. He sacrificed his life to pay our debt. The greatest story ever told was about the ultimate sacrifice. And he calls us to follow him into that. We live lives worth telling because we follow him into the struggle like make no mistake god's god's calling on your life is soaked in sacrifice it's what he calls you to i really believe that you and i are never more like jesus than when we sacrifice because that's what jesus did comfort just a slow death every day you awake you were designed to struggle just a little further up that mountain it is where god meets us and provides for us all along the way number two Our love for God is to be proven. Hold on, maybe this doesn't sit well, but just hang with me for a second because it feels weird, but let me explain what I mean. Love is as love does, not what love says. Love is as love does, not what love says. Like For example, I can say I love my wife, but if I never give of myself to her, if I only ever interact with her based on what I want, you know, when it's convenient for me, oh, I'm gonna show you affection because it's frisky and I'm only ever interacting with her out of my needs, can I really say that I love my wife? No, I'd be a chauvinistic, selfish, terrible husband. Part of my responsibility as her husband is to prove my love to her daily. Like I can say it, you know, love you. I can even sing it, which would be terrible, but I could even sing it to her. But words are empty. I must prove it. In the same way, you think about God. What if God, he tells us he loves us all throughout scripture, He goes over and over and over. He tells us he loves us. But what if he never sacrificed Jesus? What if there was no way for us to get to God? Would it matter if God loves us or not? I don't know, because we're going to hell. So what would it matter? No, God proved his love on the cross. The cross is proof of God's love. See, what drives this whole text is God is calling Abraham to prove his love. Hey man, I blessed you. Are you willing to sacrifice the blessing? Or has the blessing become greater than the blesser? In the same way, God asks the same of us. I've blessed you. I've sacrificed for you. I've proven my love. Love is as love does. Will you follow me into the sacrifice? Don't get me wrong. I'm not preaching works-based salvation. Okay, Salvation is free. There's nothing that we could do. But love is as love does. Love is an action. And that action is often sacrifice. It was seen on the cross. And we are invited into that daily. One of the most precious things that we will hold on to when we stand before God, and we will stand before God one day, one of the most precious things that we will hold on to when we stand before God are the sacrifices that we made in this life because those sacrifices were an act of love and they were an act of trust in our Father. Then number three, the degree of sacrifice equals the degree of success. Now business owners can attest to this, especially entrepreneurs, but there was no success without sacrifice. Success always stands on the mountain of sacrifice. So if you ever go through like um, the checkout line, you know, at at the grocery store and they got all those magazines and and all that, and you see like Forbes magazine and have like a a piece on like a CEO and it's like, oh, look at the success of the CEO and what they enjoy. They tend to leave out the sacrifices that led to said success. This is why statistically uh, family businesses actually, not all of them, but a lot of them die after the third generation. So the first generation, you know, will will get the business going. You know, they like take out a second mortgage on the home, early mornings, late nights, lots of stress. And then hopefully the success comes. The second generation then takes over one day. They didn't have as much skin in the game. They didn't didn't have as much sacrifice. Now they saw their mom or their dad make those sacrifices. So they know sacrifices needed, but not like the first generation knew. And so typically a family business will then plateau at second generation. Then the third generation comes And they never really saw any sacrifice. They just enjoyed the success from all the sacrifice, and that's when the results begin to dip and to crash. This is very much true with independent churches. Not like big denominational churches like Catholic church, but I'm talking like independent churches. Uh, Lifespan is usually about three generations-ish. So you have like the planting generation come in and they'll give toward a building, they'll sacrifice, they'll, they'll serve like mad to get things going. Then by the third generation, sacrifice is kind of foreign. And often the church begins to dip because the people just kind of gather up and they enjoy the success from the sacrifice of yesterday. And so in many ways, the bridge is an anomaly for an independent church to be thriving at 90 plus years old. Like how are we giving birth to another location at 95? That's nuts, giving birth at 95, How? Well, it's not the greatness of the pastors. Look at me. It ain't me. People are teasing me about, oh, you're going to North Shore. Where's Junior going to go? I have no idea where I'm going. I don't fit in there. I get that. It's not because the success of the bridge is not because we're in a growing area. Our area hasn't grown in population for quite a while. We're able to be here, yes, because of the goodness of God, of course, but through the sacrificial obedience of many who have sacrificed in this very room before. The success we enjoy today comes from those who sacrificed yesterday. You and I, we stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us in many ways. I was thinking about this last night. I was having, my family does like, we try to do like a Shabbat meal, Sabbath meal on Saturday night because Sunday's like our Sabbath. And so we have like like a nice little family dinner. And I was just sitting around the table with my wife and my daughters just thinking like, man, my dad would have loved to have had this when he was growing up. My dad grew up in a very toxic home. He was kicked out of the house because he followed Jesus. And he he sacrificed to break that family cycle. And my home today is benefiting from his sacrifice yesterday. So I was eating like dinner with my family yes, last night, just thinking like, my family, in a way, stands on the shoulders of my father. Same might be true for some of you. Maybe your parents were immigrants. They sacrificed a lot, you know, made it to a new country and navigated all of that and learned a new language. Now here you are, you're enjoying the success of their sacrifice. And it's not a bad thing, it's a a beautiful thing. It's it's so cool to, to honor them that way. But as a church, we stand on the shoulders of others. We talked about Walter a couple weeks ago, successful Chicago architect. As headlines warned of a coming depression, people were looking for work and freaking out. He quit his job sacrificed a big salary because he knew his community needed a church. And today, a hundred years later, here we all are, partly because of Walter's sacrifice. In a way, you and I right now are standing on the shoulders of Walter. Or I think of the single mom. When we raised money to put windows in, in our, this building, it like, 15 years ago a little bit more than that 15 years ago we we went through a campaign let's let's raise some money let's put in some windows to welcome in outsiders we went through this campaign and this this mom had meager income she couldn't do much but she felt like she wanted to so she went home and talked to her kids and they committed to giving up soda for three years so they could give toward a window and some of you are here because of those windows those windows i just they're, they're such a blessing I think of the men who put off retirement for three years, worked three years past retirement, like surrendered, sacrificed those like golden years of retirement so they could give to the building projects of our church. Like we stand on the shoulders of others. And maybe you don't like thinking that way because it's just humbling to think that way, but it is true. You and I stand on the shoulders of others. The real question is, will our shoulders be worth standing on? Will your shoulders be worth standing? Will my shoulders be worth standing? That day that Nicole and I climbed the glacier, I'll never forget this. We, we made it back to base camp. We were soaking, shivering. We hobbled to our car. Half the stuff was like frozen, blisters everywhere. And we threw our frozen gear and wet gear into the, the back seat of our rental. We hopped into the car. And Nicole looked at me, almost emotional. But she looked at me and she said, I can't believe I got to do that with you. I want to say the same thing with you one day. When all of this is over, and it will, this will all be over one day, in many ways I think of right now as like the good old days. It'll be over one day. And our names will be called. I want to say with you, I can't believe we got to do that together. But it starts here. We're at the halfway point. We're at that lunch spot. And not everyone will continue. Not everyone will take the invitation to go beyond, and that's okay. But for those of us who are in, let's go up the mountain. We ain't seen nothing yet. There's still more in the tank. Let's leave it all on the mountain and let's finish with a story to tell. So, our so what uh, this weekend is we make commitments. We we'll just make commitments. And, and let me just say this for, for any of you who are guests, I just want to let you know this is some, not something that we normally do. Like, we rarely ever do this. We certainly don't expect nor put pressure on you to participate in this one bit. Um, this is for those of us in the church family who are taking God's invite to go beyond. And so, if you're a guest, you can just observe during this time. We're not going to do anything weird. It's okay. There's no pressure on you, there's no judgment at all. But for those of you who are in, I just want to tell you that my family is very much honored to do this with yours. And what we're doing right now is a commitment. We're not giving right now. What We'll do actually in two weeks. In June, uh, most of us will start our monthly giving over the next 12 months. Most of us are going to give monthly to this. It's, it's so cool. I, I had a guy, a good buddy of mine, uh, last week. Uh, he just got a new job, and with that new job came a 30% increase in his income. And he told me, he's like, man, I'm just so excited. I'm just giving that 30% because I feel like this is all God. So I'm just giving that 30% to to beyond. It's like, man, that's awesome. He's not giving that today. He's just committing to that today. But the first weekend in June, recalling that first fruits weekend, uh, we get this from the Old Testament when God's people would gather together after the first of the harvest, the best of the harvest, and they they would give from that. And so in June, we'll start our giving. And for those of us who can, on that first fruits day, we'll give as high of a percentage of our gift as possible. And then we'll just give monthly after that. So on that first weekend in June, some of us will give the entire gift, but that's rare, though. Most of us are just going to give monthly. None of that is right now, though. This time right here is simply committing our gifts to God. The scripture is filled with these beautiful moments, these amazing stories that we love talking about. But so often before those amazing stories, before those moments, were moments like this, when God's people would gather together and commit together together. And so this is what we do right now as a church. We're coming together across all of our locations to commit to Jesus's great commission, to make the best of investments, planting a church in a community that desperately needs Jesus Christ. The hope for this world, you will not find it in a political party. And you will not find it in a trend. The only hope for this world is Jesus Christ and his church. And we've been tasked with the beautiful struggle to take that hope further. And it will require sacrifice and it will require struggle, but we get to do this together. And it will be an act of love as we head further up the mountain. Thanks again for listening. Again, for more content, just scroll down to the podcast description and follow the link. Before we call it, would you be kind enough to share this podcast? It goes a long way. Blessings on you today. See you next time.